Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading will be from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It is good to be with you here. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, uh, I get the joy of serving as our interim teaching pastor here at Christ Community. And I'm just thrilled to be with you as we celebrate the resurrection. And as we come together on this Easter Sunday... Easter represents a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It can represent bunnies and eggs, maybe peeps, which are disgusting, by the way. They're gross. They're bad. Um, uh, But, you know, for my children, it represents candy. Um, My son actually came up to me the other day and and said, "Uh, Daddy, Easter and Halloween are basically the same. So I failed as a father or pastor, I don't know, maybe both, um, but that's his perspective. So, you know, Easter might represent family, it might represent vacation or different traditions, and, uh, you know, we certainly know that it represents Christ and the resurrection, and because of that, it represents hope. And and we need hope in our lives. Uh, There's so many people who are walking around with no hope because they're looking at the way this world is and, and the things of this world, and they're thinking this is the end, this is all there is to life is this world. And, and there's pain and there's hurt and there's agony and you turn on the news and you just see some awful, terrible things are happening. And, and all around us, there are people who are just looking and saying, is this really all there is? And they're left without hope. You know, one of the best-selling comic books of all time was known as The Death of Superman. And the death of Superman, the title, gives away what happens in the comic. And so if you're reading this particular comic book, you read it in a different way than you would maybe read any other superhero story. Because this story lacks hope. Because you know what's coming. And it's that the hero is defeated. This hero who represents good and represents what's noble and right, this hero who is supposed to be basically invincible, is somehow defeated and finds his death in this story. And you read this comic book and you're just left without hope as you read this story. And many people are living their lives in the same way. Living life as if we know the end and it's just this life is short and it comes to an end and that's all there is. And that's a sad place to be because the reality is that even the very best that this world has to offer so often leaves us longing, leaves us wanting for more. 
And so we look and we can feel hopeless in this world. And you wouldn't be alone in that. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, there were some people who lost their hope. See, as we celebrate the resurrection today and we think about that, that very first Easter Sunday when Christ was risen from the grave, we need to go back a little bit further and we need to sit in Saturday's feeling for just a moment. See, Friday, Jesus was crucified. He was dead and gone. He was buried in the tomb. And it left many people with no hope. The women were mourning. The disciples were scattered. There were no more followers around Jesus. And all these people who had been following him didn't know what to do because they lost their hope. Why? Because the crucifixion of Christ, the cross, it was a shocking event to them. See, they believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. They believed that Jesus really was the Son of God. They believed that he was the Messiah, the one that had been promised, the one that had been talked about in the Old Testament, the one that had been prophesied about, the one that was to come, the Savior. And so the cross didn't make sense to them because they missed some things that Jesus said and they didn't understand what these really meant. See, they looked and they said, wait, how can God die on the cross? It didn't add up to them. See, they didn't understand that God had a great plan, that he had a plan that required him to step down from eternity, down from glory, to be fully man and fully God, to go through every temptation and trial that every person goes through and yet to come through it perfectly so that at the end of his life, he would be the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb. See, God's plan was for his son to be a sacrifice so that we could have life, so the disciples could have life. But they didn't understand it at the time. They saw Jesus as the Messiah and as the Savior, but they expected him to save them from the oppression of Rome. Rome was over Israel at the time, and they were not very kind uh, leaders to Israel. The Jewish people wanted them gone. They believed that national freedom was going to come, that they would rise back into power as a nation at some point, as God's chosen people. And they thought the Messiah was going to be the one to lead them in that battle. And then the Messiah came and was gone, and Rome was still in power, and they didn't understand. It didn't make sense to them. See, what they had missed was this idea that Jesus said, hey, yes, I came to save, but not to save you from Rome. No, I came to save you from your sins from death, from destruction. And that's what he came to do for each and every one of us as well. So they're left on Saturday, not understanding what is happening, being confused, left feeling like there's no hope because the story is over and done. Their hero is gone, their savior is gone, and he didn't accomplish the work that they thought he was going to accomplish. And that's where we find ourselves on Saturday. That's where maybe we find ourselves today but the good news is that Sunday came. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 said, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. 
And so the women, they hear the good news of the resurrection, and they were filled with hope because the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us hope. It gives us hope that this is not the end of the story, that the end has yet to be written. It gives us hope that something better is coming, that tomorrow brings with it something better, joy, comfort, love, peace, that are hard to experience in this time now, but can maybe be seen in the future. See, the resurrection of Christ gives us hope that we also can be raised. As a matter of fact, if you got your Bibles, flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll come back to Matthew 28 in a minute here. But 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It just talks about the significance of the resurrection and the importance of it and what it means for us. And so I'd love to go through it all, but we don't have time enough for that. Although, actually, this is the last service, so we can do whatever we want here. (laughs) But we'll skip down to verse 12. And the Apostle Paul says this about the resurrection. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I should pause and say this. There was a little bit of debate amongst Christians about, okay, Christ is risen, but there was a a, a group of Christians that believed that that doesn't really mean anything for us in eternity, that the dead cannot be raised. There is no uh, afterlife. There is no eternal life. This is still the end of our story. Christ is risen. That's cool. But they still thought this was the end. So Paul is kind of writing about that. So then he says in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And so we have a logical, uh, we can follow him logically where he's going. He's saying, hey, um, you're saying there is no resurrection of the dead. So if, if there's no resurrection, Christ can't be raised. But if Christ can be raised, if Christ has been raised, then you can be raised as well because we can believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so he's saying, hey, Christ has risen. And so we know that there is the hope of resurrection for us as well. But he goes on to say this, he says, and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. See, the Christian hope is based in the resurrection. If Jesus Christ did not rise again, then there's no point in being here today. There's no point in us gathering. There's no point in our worship. There's no point in our meetings. There's no point in our faith. There's no point in reading scripture. If the resurrection didn't happen, this is all a waste of time. But Paul says, but the good news is that it did happen. And so we have hope that this is not the end. We have hope that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can be made new and we can receive new life as a new creation where we will get to spend eternity with God in glory. That's the hope of the resurrection. But I want to read a couple more verses because it gets even better than that, actually. Go down to verse 42. Or just look at it on the screen. Keep your eyes there. It says this in verse 42. It says, so so he's talking about how when we die, it's basically like a seed being planted. Like this physical body is like a seed that will be planted. and, And when the seed is planted, it breaks apart and produces something new, something better. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so what Paul is saying here is not only is there resurrection, 
Not only is there eternal life, but these bodies that we're in right now are not the end bodies that we're going to receive. We're going to receive something new. Praise God for that. Am I right? Like, I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't really, like, I'm not claiming to be old, but I certainly feel the effects of aging, right? Anyone else feel the effects of aging on their bodies? Yes. The other day I woke up and, and, and I got up and I was just like, oh, like I'm so sore. It's so hard to get out of bed. And my wife's like, well, what, like, what happened? What did you do yesterday? You go work out? And I was like, no, but I think I walked a little bit more than normal. Right? Like I, just, I just feel like some things are just starting to not work the way that they're supposed to work, and, and it starts to hurt, and, and, and these bodies, we experience pain, we experience sickness, we experience disease, we experience these things. The body will break down. It will decay over time. And, and yet Paul is saying, hey, that's okay, because in eternity, you get a new body, a glorified body, one that's raised in power, that is imperishable, that isn't like the old. It's similar, but it's not like it. This is just a glimpse and we're headed to a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, you step outside and, and, and you enjoy the sun, but you enjoy the sun a little too long. You get a sunburn. You're like, ow, oh, this hurts. Sometimes creation hurts. But the new creation is going to be different than this. The Bible actually tells us that we are going to a place where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, where Christ will wipe away every tear. And so everything is going to be made new in the resurrection. So the hope of the resurrection is not just that we don't die, but it's that everything is made new, everything is redeemed, everything is restored and actually beautified and glorified. That's where we're headed. So the very best that this world has to offer, I mean, your absolute best day here is going to be your worst day in eternity. Like, that's what we are headed towards. That's the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in the resurrection. So if the resurrection is true, then we probably should pay attention and we should take note. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about why I believe that the resurrection can be trusted. Because I do think the resurrection can be trusted. And as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians has a few things to say about why we can believe that the resurrection is truthful, that it really did happen. So let's take a look at what he has to say. Starting in verse 3, we'll go back to verse 3 here. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So the first reason that we know that we can trust that the resurrection is true is that we have reliable texts. We have reliable texts. Paul says this in verses 3 and 4. He says, this happened according to the text. This happened according to the scriptures. He says that Christ died, that he rose again according to the scriptures. And so he's pointing back to the Old Testament and saying that Christ has fulfilled all these prophecies and therefore we can believe that he really is who he claimed to be. But as we look at our New Testament, we also know that we have reliable texts in the New Testament, that these are books, letters and books that are written by the people that they say they were written by and we can trust their account because many of them are eyewitness accounts. So when you look at the gospels, what you're looking at is an eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ. 
of who he was, of what he did, of the things he accomplished in his life. Matthew and John were both disciples. They were part of the 12. They saw pretty much everything. John was actually part of what's known as the inner three with him, James, and Peter. And so he was brought along to even more than the other nine disciples were a part of. So we have accounts that we can trust in those books. Mark and Luke were not disciples on their own, but they were closely related to many apostles that we see in the book of Acts. Mark was good friends with Peter, and many believe that Peter actually dictated the words to Mark. And also Luke was a doctor. He took meticulous notes, and, and his, his gospel in Luke and the book of Acts, which he also wrote, give us some of the best historical context of this time, no matter what you want to believe about the truthfulness of the gospel. So these are eyewitness accounts that we can believe. Paul saw the resurrected Christ and, and, and is writing the book of Corinthians, this letter to the church in Corinth, about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. And so we have these timely, reliable texts. We have a lot of historical texts that show us that, yeah, these really are reliable and that we really can believe that is written by who it was said to be written by, and this is what they wrote. And so we can trust the text that we have in front of us. The second thing is this, and we see this actually in the book of Matthew, there are women witnesses. Remember, it says Mary Magdalene and Mary were two of the first people that came and saw the resurrected Christ. This is significant because 2,000 years ago, women had a low standing in this culture. And so women witnesses were not considered valid witnesses. They weren't the people you would put up in court because their testimony was not going to be deemed as reliable or believable or trusted. And the reason that this is significant is that all of the gospel writers make it clear that the women were the first people to encounter the resurrected Christ. Well, if the goal of the gospel writers was simply to try and convince people of something, they would have left the women witnesses out. They wouldn't have included them because it doesn't help their testimony. If anything, it hurt it at the time. The only reason to include their testimony, their account, is because you want to give a truthful account of what actually happened. And so this is what the gospel writers were trying to do. They weren't trying to convince someone of Jesus. They were simply trying to profess the truth and, and let people know what really happened. The third thing that we look at is we look at the Roman guards. Remember the guards who trembled with fear at sight of the angel of the Lord. Well, the Roman guards were standing watch over the tomb. The Roman guards were well-trained. They knew what they were doing. They were very disciplined. And they were in an honor society where failure to do their job would have meant punishment that potentially could have even cost them their lives. And yet the story that they came up with after the resurrection is that the guards simply fell asleep. And these disciples who, remember, had scattered, had run in fear and were left hopeless when Jesus was crucified that they came while the guards were asleep, moved the stone, and stole the body, and were able to hide it in a place and in a way that no one ever could find the body again. And so the believability of that account that the guards simply fell asleep, it just doesn't add up with who the Roman guards were at that time. So the Roman guards are a great testimony to the truth of the resurrection. And then we have these next verses in chapter 15. See, Paul mentions, he mentions Cephas, who is Peter. He mentions James. He mentions himself. And he talks about 500 brothers who saw the resurrected Christ. And so the next reason that we can believe the resurrection is because Paul mentions there were 500 witnesses. 
500 witnesses. Now two was considered a valid testimony. Two witnesses is considered a valid testimony at that time. And Paul's saying, I have 500. So you want to go to court and you want to put me on trial? I won't just bring one or two or three or four or five or six or seven. I'll bring 500 people before you. Has anyone ever seen Miracle on 34th Street? Yes, maybe some of you. I know we're talking about a Christmas movie during Easter. That's some sort of sin or something. I don't know. But, um, but here's the thing. Miracle on 34th Street, it centers around this court case where a lawyer is trying to prove that this one Santa is the one true Santa. And so he accomplishes this. Sorry, spoiler alert. He accomplishes this by using the postal service and letters to Santa See, someone had writ, wrote, written, wrote a letter to Santa uh, that, that they had sent to the courthouse. And, and so the postal workers decided to take all the letters to Santa that they had stored and send them all to Santa who was in the courthouse. And so the lawyer brings up those first ones that were written and were, and were written to the courthouse and, and says, see, look, the postal service delivered these letters to Santa at the courthouse because they are accepting that he is Santa. And the judge says, that's fine, but, you know, two, three letters, that's not really enough to win an argument. And the lawyer says, well, I have more, but I hesitate to bring them before you. And the judge says, put them on the desk. And he says, no, I don't think you understand. The judge stops him. He says, no, put them on the desk. And so the lawyer calls in the postal workers and mailman after mailman come with these huge, massive bags of letters and they begin dumping them on the desk until the point where the desk fills up so high that you can no longer see the judge. And he's forced to push the letters aside and just to say, all right, you win. The, the evidence is overwhelming. And this is what Paul is saying in a public document to the church in Corinth. He's saying, I want you to believe and don't just believe on my testimony. Don't just believe on one or two testimonies. He said, I'll present 500 people who will tell you they saw the resurrected Christ. And so if that's not enough, and you look around and you're saying, I don't know, you know, the facts, I get it, I understand, but, but it just doesn't do it for me. Well, Paul mentions a few people. He mentions James, he mentions Peter, he mentions himself, the disciples, the apostles. And he does this because what he wants to demonstrate to the church in Corinth and what he wants to demonstrate to us today is when you meet the resurrected Christ, it transforms you. And so he's saying there are transformed witnesses. And I want you to pay attention because only meeting the resurrected Christ would really have this kind of effect. So he mentions Peter. And if you remember, the last time we saw Peter, he had denied Christ three times out of fear that he would be brought up on charges with Jesus. Two of those times were to a servant girl who had no power and authority in society at that time. Peter was scared and he had scattered like many of the other disciples. And yet after the resurrection, we see that Peter becomes a leader in the church and ultimately will be martyred. It's believed that he was hung upside down on a cross, dying for his faith. James is an interesting one. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And we see in John chapter 7 that the brothers of Jesus did not believe that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. We see later that there was some frustration from the brothers and the family of Jesus towards Jesus, even thinking he was crazy. And yet James, after the resurrection, would also be seen as a leader of the church. He would also be martyred for the faith. 
And in a letter that he wrote to the church, he would address himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does anyone in here have siblings? Anyone have any rivalry with those siblings? Listen, I love my family. I love my brother's name is Dylan. Um, I'm just telling you, I'm not writing a letter and announcing myself as Ryan, a servant of the Lord Dylan, unless I have seen him die and rise again. Like it's just not going to happen. And James would give his life for the one he used to not believe in. Paul was rising through the Jewish ranks, was gaining authority, was gaining power, was gaining popularity, was gaining fame and wealth. And he was doing so by having Christians imprisoned and killed for their faith. And he would leave all that behind to go and be an evangelist for Christ, proclaim the message of Jesus, and would ultimately be thrown in prison and killed himself for his faith. The disciples that were mentioned that had scattered on Saturday would all be martyred for their faith, proclaiming Jesus Christ until their dying day. As a matter of fact, it's believed that one of them, Andrew, was even hung on a cross and, and, and proclaimed the truth to his persecutors, preached to his persecutors until his dying breath. All these people that had scattered, that had run away, these people who had doubted and not believed are suddenly giving their lives for Christ? How is that possible? Why does that happen? Well, seeing the resurrected Christ would probably do that. And what I want us to understand today is that the resurrection changes everything. It changed everything about these men and women. They gave up their beliefs, their religion, their practices, their culture, some family, and many gave up their lives to pursue Christ. And what I want us to understand is that the witnesses didn't stop 2,000 years ago. I mean, look around this room. And in this room alone, you will find hundreds of people whose lives have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, who believe in the resurrection, have put their trust in Jesus, and have seen their lives transformed because of it. The resurrection changes everything. It changes who we are from the inside out. It gives us hope. It gives us a purpose. It gives us new life to look forward to. I know in my own life that I can look and I've never known a time where I haven't been a follower of Christ, where I haven't known Christ, and I praise God for that. But I can look and see in my own life the way that Christ has strengthened me and empowered me. I can see moments where I found joy and sorrow, where I found peace and chaos, where I found hope in hopeless situations. I know there are times where I've been able to love and forgive in ways that don't really make sense. And it's not because I'm so great, but it's because Christ is great in me. It's because I put my trust in the risen Lord and his Holy Spirit leads and guides me each and every day. And I hope and I pray that each and every one of you will experience that as well. The resurrection changes everything, but here's the last thing we need to understand. The resurrection requires a response. It requires a response. We can't just hear about the resurrection and think, oh, that's a nice story. It doesn't work like that. We either accept this truth and allow ourselves to be transformed from the inside out, put Jesus as Lord and follow him, or we reject it and deny it and live life based on our own will and our own desires. But look at how it transformed the women and the decision that they made to believe and to trust in the word of God 
and to be transformed by it. Back in Matthew chapter 28, we'll go down to verse 7. It says this. The angel of the Lord tells the women, he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So now they have a mission. They have a purpose, a new purpose, a new plan for their lives. And they're going to respond to the call of God on their hearts, to the hope that they have. And so, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. See, they put their trust in Jesus Christ. They believed in the resurrection, and it changed everything. And they decided to respond through worship, worshiping the risen Lord, putting him first, telling Jesus, you are the most important thing in my life. They decided to respond with evangelism, with, with going and sharing the good news. Because the, the, the love of God, the hope that we have in Christ, is not meant for us to selfishly hold on to ourselves, but it's meant for us to proclaim and to demonstrate in everything that we do. They would go on to pursue Jesus through deeper discipleship, through getting to know him and building their relationship with him. The disciples and these women, they would, they would partner with God and what he was up to in their time. And they had incredible fellowship with believers, putting Jesus as the head and submitting themselves to him so that they would love others the way that he has called them to. They would love others the way Jesus loved others. And that's what understanding the resurrection does. It gives us hope because it is trustworthy. It changes everything about who we are, the hope we have, the lives that we live. And we respond to the gospel message by giving our lives fully to Christ and saying, God, everything that I have and everything that I am is yours. And I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna follow you because you are trustworthy and you have given me everything. And so everything I have goes back to you. And so now the question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the message of the resurrection, to the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Will you reject him and push him away? Or will you run towards him, run to his open arms and receive the love, the grace, the acceptance, the forgiveness that he has to offer? Will you receive this incredible gift? See, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is disobedience to God. And it tells us that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. And it says that is a cost that none of us can possibly pay. There's no amount of good deeds. There is no amount of church attendance, no tithe check that is going to be big enough that we can cover our debt to the Lord. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to pay that price because it's already been paid for us. Jesus paid that price through his death through his life, his blood washed away our sins. So we are white as snow. We are seen before God, justified, standing right before him. And so the gift of God is the gift of life, new life, life eternally, where all things will be made new. This is the promise of the gospel. And we simply have to accept that gift. And the Bible tells us that the way we do that is by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And it says, when we do that, you will be saved. Meaning your eternity is set. Your hope is secure. Your life 
is secure in the hands of the Father. And so I want to give us an opportunity today to respond to the gospel message, to respond to the resurrection. So those who've already received that gift, this will simply be another opportunity to say thank you, Lord, and to give him praise, and maybe to commit our lives to living out of the hope that we have. To say, I don't want to live as a hopeless person like I used to be, but I want to live in the hope that I have in the new life, in the forgiveness of sins, in life everlasting. And for some in this room, you might be sitting here, and maybe this is your first time in church, or maybe this is your hundredth time in church, but maybe you've been feeling that pull, but you've never committed your life to Christ. You've never received that gift. For whatever reason, you've pushed him away. And maybe today you're feeling that tug, you're feeling God opening your heart and saying, hey, I want you. I gave my son for you. I gave my life for you. I want you to choose me. I want you to come and be a part of my family to experience something new, something different, to experience life, to experience a hope that can only come from putting your trust in me and having your life secured in the blood of Christ. And so if that's you for the first time, we're gonna have a prayer that we're all gonna say together. And there's nothing magic about these specific words, but we're gonna pray it together knowing that all we have to do is confess with our mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. And so the, the prayer is in your bulletin. It's gonna be on the screen as we pray it, but, but maybe today is not the day. Maybe you're just not feeling ready to make that commitment yet. Well, if that's you, the bulletin has the prayer and, and, and that's something you can hold on to. And maybe it's tonight, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week or a month or a year from now. But whenever you're ready, you say that prayer and you say, God, my life is yours. Thank you for what you've done for me. I can never repay you, but you freely gave it to me anyways. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Lead me and guide me in every step that I take. And so would you stand with me and we'll close out with this prayer. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize that I need you in my life and I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, with your help and the work of your Holy Spirit in my life, I want to follow you from now on. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Help me to grow as a Christian. Amen. I want to say this, if, if this is your first time giving your life to Christ, uh, there are some people who will be at the prayer station if you want someone to just pray with you and pray for you. But also, my email is ryan at cccnow.com. I would love to pray with you and celebrate with you. And so if you made that decision for the very first time, would you just shoot me an email this week and let me know? I would greatly appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity to celebrate with you. Let's pray and then we'll continue to worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for your word and the truth that it speaks to us. We thank you that you paid the price for our sins that we never could. God, we thank you that you died in our place and that you rose again conquering the grave so that we can have hope in a new life and a life to come, life eternally, life to the full, life with glorified bodies and a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. So God, we look forward to that day, but we ask for the strength to live with hope on our faces each and every moment of the day so that we can proclaim your truth to the world so that they would hear the good news as well and also be able to receive the amazing gift of your love. We love you, Father, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.